Managing just a handful of writers creating a few thousand words of content per week can be a handful. But what if you had to manage hundreds of writers creating millions of words of content every single week? Well, that's exactly what my guest today does. Vincent Diletto runs Word Agents, the one of the largest content agencies out there, and we've been working with them for a number of years now. And today he's going to be sharing all the juicy insights about how he runs his business. We're going to find out how much he pays for writers, how many writers he works with, how he finds them, how he keeps them, and how he trains them. So if you have a website that you create content for and you have a team of writers that you want to manage better, then pay attention because you're going to learn a lot today. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Vin, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, Mark. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, buddy. So I'm really excited to have you on because we talked last week about, about this show and about this interview. And one thing that really surprised me, like I had no idea how big your company is. So I'd like, if that's okay, just to give you a few quick fire questions so you can give our audience a, a sense of the scale of your content operation. Absolutely, man. Hit me with them. How many writers do you have on your team at this moment? At this moment, I believe we have 234 freelance writers on the Word Agents team. That is in, that's insane. I think that's the most I've ever heard anyone have on, <laughs> on, on their team. And how many words per month would you say you, you produce on average? We do, on average, I would say between 4.5 and 5 million words produced for our clients every month. That's growing pretty quickly month over month. It's also completely mind-blowing. And I know you guys have been around for a long time, so, and you may have to do some math here, but do you have any idea how many words of content you've produced in your, since you've been going? Well, when we relaunched the website in April of 2020, we actually have the stat right in on the about section and, and we had it at 77 million words roundabouts up until that point. But over the last year, I think it's been our biggest year ever. So uh, I'd have to do the math on that, but it's getting up there for sure. Like, it's just mind blowing, like uh, <laughs> these numbers. And, and that's why I'm so excited to have you on today, because I, I want to grill you on on how you run your business and how you find so many writers and, and just get get all that done. Sometimes I have real problems getting that done for, for one site. So I can't imagine how, how, how you do it for, for so many of your, your clients. So if we can if we can just break this down, let's start with with finding writers because I know that's a problem which every site owner can relate to, and you seem to have solved because you have have so many. Where do you find writers? Well, it's it's not solved yet. It's always a work in progress because you know writer sources change over time. So those tried and true sources that you know we relied on for years and years, sometimes they draw dry up, and you got to go elsewhere. But there's always the places that we all know, Upwork. ProBlogger, I would suggest ProBlogger featured at this point. The, the normal uh, ProBlogger ads just aren't as effective as they once were. You gotta pay for that featured ad. Uh, Craigslist, job sites, Facebook groups. Those I think is, are where most affiliate marketers go to find their writers. We've gotten a little creative and kind of ventured outside and, and gone offline a little bit to find writers. We have agreements with colleges and universities. We go to local small business and career center type things. Probably everybody has like a business center in their city or around their city. That's a great place to find people who are talented and, and looking for work. Um, and we're also touching um, into specialty groups like uh, veterans, retirees, single moms. 
There's all kinds of organizations that support these types of groups. And lots of times they have some kind of like job board or something like that where you can actually uh, source um, writers from there. And it's also, you know, you're being a little socially conscious, too, by supporting maybe an underserved uh, demographic. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so you mentioned college students there. Do you physically go to campuses and, and attend careers fairs and boots on the ground kind of mode? or? Uh, not yet. It depends on how tough it is uh, for us to scale in the future. But we started with the online universities. There's a, a good bit of alignment there because they try to place their students um, into digital jobs just because everything's online. So we just hit up the career center or the counselors or wh whatever they, they call it at each individual university, um, the organization that, that helps students uh, get placed at work. And we just tell them what the deal is and, and you know give them a flat offer. And we ask for their English students and, and their honor students because there's a there's there's something to be said about life experience with college students. So we, we find that the honor students and the ones that are uh, majoring in English have the best success rate uh, with word agents. Okay. And are you looking for students who are still studying at this, at this point in time? Or is it, is it graduates who this goes on to be, become like their, their sort of full-time job? It's usually seniors. So we, we usually touch base with the colleges and universities towards uh, the end of springs because uh, that spring semester is just ending. So we're, we're trying to grab the seniors on their way out. They're looking for summer jobs. They're looking for their first you know, foray in the, uh, in the workplace. And uh, it, it works out. And do you tend to look for generalist writers, i.e. someone who can research and write about anything? Or do you focus on people who have specific experiences with certain niches, for example? Yes. And uh, that's probably a topic that I can talk about for an entire podcast. But at Word Agents, we only work with generalist writers and we do our best to train them up to research and basically speak intelligently on any topic. We've tested building teams of subject matter experts and there's a lot of pitfalls you got to you got to look out for. And I think that's very viable for a small team. But once you get to the size of word agents, you know, trying to get, you know, 200 subject matter experts in different verticals is, is a really tough nut to crack. So how do you I mean, sort of going off the hiring path a little bit here, but how do you get someone who's not a topic expert to be able to write confidently about a topic then? How do you teach them to do that? So we have some very, very detailed operating procedures related to internet research. So we teach all of our writers about, you know, Google special operators, you know, the differences between an authority site, a primary source of data, and basic just research tactics like that, which does a lot of the legwork for us. You know, just going to a primary source of data allows a writer to speak more intelligently than if they're going through to a new site that's kind of like, you know, cycling through that information and, and not necessarily providing uh, an accurate answer. But yeah, just through internet research and the way we teach our writers to do that, you know, more often than not, we, we, we hit the nail on the head. Interesting. Okay. We also always tell clients that if it's a professional service or if there is a, if it's a topic that would require a four-year degree to speak intelligently about, you know, that's, that's just not the right fit for us. And that's, you know, for a smaller team, Again, I'm talking through the perspective of running word agents, but if, if you just need a few writers to support your blog, you could totally find a subject matter expert. All you got to do is go on Upwork. They're all hanging out right there. And you can, you know, source three, four, five subject experts that you can use, you know, consistently over time for your blog. They're just going to be a few percentage points hot, more, more costly than a generalist, mainly because they have that experience behind them. 
So would you say that the training, training someone to research well, essentially enables them to, to write about anything or almost anything? Yes, I would take a, a content marketer that knows how to research and write well over a subject matter expert. And if, if the topic re- required subject matter expertise, I would simply hire somebody with expertise to review the article and uh, sign off on the data. That's an interesting approach, actually, because I know from personal experience, it can be really challenging, especially in, in certain niches, to find subject matter experts. So that may be an interesting approach. I've always tended to shy away from hiring generalist writers in, in, in the past, but thinking about it and thinking about how I create content, like a lot of the, the value, I guess, is, is created in the research phase and ensuring that that's done properly is, uh, is, is super important. Okay, just go back to your actual hiring process then. What does it look like? You know, someone sends in an application. What what happens next? How are you screening for good writers? What are you looking out for at that stage? Sure. So really, aside from expertise, we're looking for goal-oriented, punctual writers with excellent spelling and grammar skills. So they just need to be able to have a really strong handle of the English language, uh, preferably fluent. Uh, we At Word Agents, we only work with uh, North American writers. But I'm more looking for the characteristics, the, um, the character traits over the skill sets. If a writer is really, or, really interested in helping you reach your goals rather than just checking boxes on a checklist, that's the person I want to work with. You know, experience with internet research, content marketing, and SEO is a plus, but I'm not going to turn a candidate away if they don't have that experience because those those are things I can train them up on. But the core skills, like their character traits, or they're really interested in doing the job or just getting a paycheck, you know, that you got to weigh that. And can they write well? If they check those boxes, they they pass my first test, and then we we go on with uh, you know the testing phase of bringing new applicants on. And what does that look like? Is it- do you, do you give them all a test article to, to write them? Sure, yeah. We, we give every single writer a test article. And we use the same brief for all applicants. That way it makes the evaluation of those, those test articles much more easier for our editors. And also we don't have to kind of create a new brief for every new applicant that comes in. But they get a test article. They either pass or fail that. The ones that pass it, they go hand off. They get handed off to our talent manager at Word Agents. And they do another test article with the talent manager. So they both, they have to pass our evaluation team with the first test. Then they have to pass uh, with our talent manager. And if they make that, pass that second test, they go into a 90-day probation period. And we're specific in letting them know that they're in probation because there's a little bit of psychology there that if a writer knows that they're kind of like under a magnifying glass, they're going to do their, you know, put their best foot forward for that entire duration. And really, if writers are able to do that for 90 days straight, and that's that's a lot of projects over those 90 days, we're going to have a high confidence that they're going to be the right fit for our team for the long term. And is there anything when you're evaluating a, a test article or, or something someone's uh, submitted in their portfolio, even as part of the application, are there certain things you look for in their writing at that stage or certain things you, you look to avoid at that stage as well? Right. So we have a, uh, an evaluation checklist. And the, the purpose of that is that we're evaluating candidates consistently and fairly. So it's not, you know, across evaluators. So it's not one evaluator has this opinion and another has this opinion. We use this checklist and then that's it. 
that checklist is going to be unique to your business. You know, the, you know, the items on, on our list are going to be different from yours just because of, of what we're doing. Uh, it's, it's different. But for the most part, you know, it's things like fluff. Are you looking for fluff writing, keyword stuffing? How powerful is the intro? Does the intro, uh, you know, keep you engaged and want you to, to read more? How is their formatting without any training? Like how do they format and structure an article without any, you know, previous training from word agents? Those are the type of things that we're looking for. And of course, we're evaluating it against our, you know, general quality assurance process. So everything's going through Grammarly, CopyScape, Hemingway editor for readability. And I think, you know, on our checklist, we have about 22 different uh, items, 22 different pieces of criteria that we evaluate uh, the document against. Okay, so let, let's talk if we can about editors, because I'm guessing you must have quite a few editors. What's the sort of ratio of editors to, to writers that, that you guys have? We try to keep a, a one to 10 ratio. So one editor for every 10 writers. I believe we're above that right now because what we're doing is we're evaluating different pay structures for editors. So we're definitely uh, you know over our need for editors, but that's fine. We, we get things done faster that way. But for the most part, editors, we pay on an hourly basis. I definitely stress the hourly basis for editors. Trying to track editors on a per word basis uh, actually adds an added cost for you know administration and, and just the management of that. And most editors in general are used to being paid on an hourly basis. So there's less friction when you're onboarding them and just trying to get them into your organization. Does a good writer, can they also work as an editor or is there a different set of skills that are... It, it just comes down to, you said it, down to their, their character traits. We love to promote from within. So there's definitely been writers that have become editors. And even some of those editors became our, our talent manager and our director of content operations. But for the most part, right now, new editors are all, all coming from outside the organization just because of how much demand we, we have on our writers. Uh, we just have to look elsewhere because we need the writers in the seats that they're in right now. So do you have different hiring processes? Do you look in different places or is it the, the same places you mentioned? You look for writers, you look for, for editors as well. Um, Upwork is very good for editors and job sites are in general are very good for editors, mainly because the price point uh, that, the, that those editors expect on those job sites are aligned with our budget. Whereas writers, you kind of like you have a big spectrum of expectations for pay scale. So we have to be specific about where we go to find our writers. Another website that I really like for sourcing editors is called freeup.net. It's actually owned by the owner of The Hoth. And it's kind of, um, it's a job site, but they have this, this cool feature where they, you, you tell them what they're looking for and they'll actually go and find candidates for you and give you like a top three to five list who they think would be the best fit for your, for your role. And that's worked out very well for us, both for editors as well as other positions in the company outside of production. Like uh, we hired a data analyst from, from FreeUp too. Interesting. And is that mostly like US-based people or is it, is it international? We were able to source US-based editors, but outside of that, it's, it was worldwide. I, I think we have some in Norway, some in Bulgaria, all, all over the world. Interesting. I haven't heard of that one before. I have to check it out actually. Yeah, it's solid. I, I like it a lot. So how do your editors interact with your writers? What does that day-to-day -day interaction and feedback cycles uh, look like? Sure. So we have a pretty robust back-end tech stack, I guess you would say, at this point. So everything is becoming more and more automated. But for the most part, 
editors, our assignment, we have an assignment manager. So the assignment manager is the one doling out all the work to various editors and writers, and then it gets into production. So the writers will be the ones getting started on the work. Editors will be there throughout the entire process to answer any questions about client instructions, to clarify client instructions. And if they need to go back to the client to get further clarification, editors will do that. And other than that, they're just answering general writer questions during the production of the first draft. After that, the writer will submit the article to the editor, at which point they'll do their quality assurance work. They'll do their proofreading. They'll go, you know, push everything through Grammarly and Copyscape in our, in our tool stack. And the editor will make a judgment call. Is this uh, draft, you know, need like five minutes or less of edits? In that case, the editor will, will do the changes themselves. If not, they'll jot up some revision notes and send the work back to the writer for a revision with the expectation that the revision is expected back within 24 hours. Then the editor will, will do their final sign-off before sending it to our quality assurance team for a final, final review before it gets delivered to the end, end user, which is a client. And do your editors sometimes actually make the edits if it's just like little things here or there? Do they always push it back to the writer to get in order to like for them to learn what, what they should be doing. Like Our trigger point for that is really the five-minute rule. Is this, okay. Does this document need more or less than five minutes of copy editing? If it's less than five minutes, go ahead and do that. Maybe that's like tweaks to the headers. Maybe it's you know just you know separating text so there's no blocks of text on the screen. Just very small things like that. But anything more than that, we send it back to the writers because we're paying the writers to make sure that that's correct for our clients. Yeah, I've always struggled with with that. Like, if it's little mistakes, like, do you have the editor push back on the writer uh, and like spend some time doing that in the hope that they fix it, you know, forever in future, or is it even worth it? But I like that five minute rule. That's a good, uh, uh, I, th I think, a good yeah. number to, to to make it work. And just to add add context, there we do have a quality assurance team, which are probably our most talented editors. And that is really like our last line of defense. If an editor isn't confident that an article is delivery worthy, they have the option of sending it to that client, uh, that quality assurance team. I mean, we both have quality assurance editors and writers, and that's just like, you know, special ops. They go in and they look at where we're at and they just polish it up and get it ready for delivery. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of larger organizations have that kind of role. I've heard like chief content quality officer and roles like this. I really think this is something important, even if you're not doing it at the scale you guys are doing it. Having someone whose ultimate responsibility is for for quality across like a, a whole site. It's something I've, I haven't done yet, but it's a role I've, I've kind of thinking about like how how one could adapt that to a, to, to a single site at the moment, actually, it's quite interesting. It's really needed for, just so we can hit our guarantees related to delivery dates. You know, we guarantee that we deliver up to 10,000 words every week. If we're sending stuff back between editors and writers multiple times, you're really eroding away at your available to time to, to meet your guarantee. So we just opt to send it to a quality assurance team who's ready and willing to get this done as fast as possible. And they're capable of really putting out a good product. So that's probably the main reason we have that there, just to keep the, the entire workflow flowing on time.
Let's talk about rates for a second, like both for editors and, and for writers, because in my experience, the numbers, like the, at least the, the amount the, the, these people have been, been asking for seems to have been steadily going up in, in recent years, which is fine, you know, with in, in inflation and all. I'm just wondering what your take on, on that is at your scale. Like how much are you, you paying your, your writers, your editors kind of on average? Yeah, sure. It all comes down to what you're asking of the role, right? So you have, to, if you're going to like slam a role and by a role, I just mean like the title, the job title with a ton of tasks, you should expect to pay a bit more. We've kind of, it's a juggling act of, you know, balancing act to get those tasks right to make sure that it's, it's good for the rate we're paying. For writers, we're paid between two and three cents per word. We're very transparent about that. It's, it's a flat rate. We don't do tiers of writers for different quality. We always try to put out the best quality possible. And that's why our hiring system is so stringent, because we're only going to let writers in that are capable of putting out the quality that we expect. But we're paying two to three cents for that. But that's only for production. All writers have to do are take the client instructions, read them, and write the article. We're not asking them to do anything else. Any other tasks related to creating the article are elsewhere in the production system, whether that be with the editors or the quality assurance team. Editors, we're, we're paying on, on an hourly basis. It's kind of hard for me to say what rate we're paying editors because we look at all editors in total and look at that as, as one budget. But for the most part, we're able to source editors anywhere between 14 and $20 an hour. Okay, yeah. I guess that's like, I remember back in the day when I was starting doing authority sites, like I remember that three cents a, a word being kind of like the, the, the average, but it seems more and more these days that that rates have seems to be been, been going up at least. Well, that's what we've been charging. Well, what it is, it's, there's a lot of websites out there that kind of like, I would say they're like freelance writer support websites, like how to you know build your business as a sole proprietor. And they very much inject ideas into these writers' heads about what they can expect when it's not really the truth, you know, everybody has a different background. Everybody has a different experience set. And for the writers that we're looking for, you know, recent college graduates, stay-at-home moms, right, retirees, professional freelancers looking to fill holes in, in, in their schedule, we're able to source plenty of them at the, at the rate we're offering. Great. So how do you get your writers up to speed with the way you, they're supposed to be writing content like when they, when they start? What training do you have on in, in place? It all starts with the standard operating procedures. So we have so many, uh, you know, our documented systems are, 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 it's almost a library at this point. We have different SOPs for, you know, workflows, how to use our, our project management system, uh, research, like I talked about before, formatting and structure of articles, on-page optimization, call to actions, like you really had, you know, if a client wants a call to action or is trying to drive something to a specific link, how to work that into the writing. Um, so we're really developing the documentation first, and then we're testing the, the writers just to get a feel for their natural abilities. And then the real training starts within that 90-day probation period. The first two weeks, we give the writers time to internalize the documentation. Really, you know, two weeks should be plenty for the amount of documents that we're giving to our writers for them to be up to speed. They're not up to speed after the first two weeks. It requires a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the writer to really understand, you know, where the knowledge gap is and try to close that. And if not, maybe a second guess of whether or not if that writer is the right fit for the team. After that two-week initial period, they're just in probation, um, and we just monitor them closely and, and just reinforce our rules and, and expectations through that period. 
And then our talent manager also holds ongoing training in the form of pre-recorded videos. And that's something that we're actually just implementing now. We're going to do a once per month training, one hour long pre-recorded video, and we just blast that out to the team through our email marketing. What kind of things are going to be on those recorded videos? Any new tasks, any new changes to our existing um, SOPs, and then really just honing in on um, common failures. Like a lot of times, like there'll just be one expectation that writers have like a really hard time with. So we'll do an hour long session to really go through like, you know, resolving that. So it becomes, you know, not so much uh, of a problem from a from a macro point of view. And you mentioned like the SOPs earlier. What specifically would you be like telling them within, say, your research SOP or, or one of your other SOPs? Like g- give us some insight there. Sure. In the research SOP, it's we, we try to make it as action based as possible. Like I try to keep every SOP to about two pages or less. Anything more than that, and it just becomes noise, and it's hard for, for the writer to internalize. For the research SOP specifically, uh, we're talking about, as I may have alluded to before, you know, the differences between primary and secondary sources of information. How do you properly use Google advanced search operators to kind of filter the results down to really what's important and the most useful? And then how to identify like an authority-based based website where you can really trust the information and data that they're presenting, you know, compared to like a fan site. And, and it's really all about how to suss out the good stuff from the bad stuff and, and really get to that as quickly as possible. So you're, you're essentially teaching them how to find the facts of whatever it is they're, they're writing about versus the noise. Correct. Absolutely correct. Okay. That's interesting. And what about the, the, you said you had an SOP on structuring content as well. What is, what does that look like? So that's all the stuff that we all know as SEOs, you know, just uh, everything should be structured with or broken up with headings and subheadings. And then if you want to do nested subheadings within that, keeping headings short and sweet, we don't want verbose headings that are wrapping to a second line. The same idea with paragraph structure. I actually learned that from Authority Hacker back in the day, keep, keep paragraphs short and sweet keep paragraphs focused to a single thought. We instruct our writers to keep paragraphs to three to five visual lines. And that all, all that means is if you're gonna count the lines on the screen, it shouldn't really be more than five visual lines. So those are the types of instructions that we have in, in the formatting document. Yeah, I like that. Uh, avoiding the the wall of text syndrome that you you see on a lot of kind of old school blog posts. That's that's really really important. Yeah, and and really that backs out for word agents. If we're able to structure our articles in a way that's going to keep our clients visitors engaged, that keeps that client coming back to us because you know they're they're making money from that article. Okay, so how do you physically manage so much? content i mean do you have it all on google drive somewhere do you have some numbering system for for every piece like i just it boggles my mind like how how you you handle all this it took two years to get that organized two two full years and a lot of trial and error it's just down to our tech stack we use active campaign to uh communicate with the uh writing team and we actually just um onboarded the entire team into hr software we're using bamboo hr and uh, because we have so many bodies, a platform like that was really necessary for communication. Then we have our project management software. We're using Service Provider Pro, which was a project management system that was as close as possible to our workflow that we could find out of the box. We did some further customizations to that to really build an assembly line 
for our workflow in the back end, which really helped management of all these orders. But as far as deliverables, it's just in Google Drive. We have client folders and then within client folders, there's project folders and within the project folders, there is the actual documents. So the client will get delivered the actual project folder that includes all their documents within the project. And do you give each of your writers an at word agent G Suite or uh, Google email account? No, that, that would be very, very expensive. We just we give that to our higher level management. And do editors have them now? No, editors don't even have them now. It's just high level management. Basically, any any of our staff that will have would be client interfacing. So, so do you have like a Google Drive with like one one word agent's content folder that, that you own and you just invite the writers into the relevant relevant parts there? We split so it up. So we have a, a production side and deliverer side because we don't want clients. Clients will always have access to the deliverable side. So we don't want them seeing uh, articles that are in production. We did that for a while and I started getting emails, you know, nonstop about clients making critiques before the article was delivered to them. So we do everything in a production folder first, and then it gets moved over to the deliverable folder once it's ready for the client to see. Interesting. Okay. We came across a problem, really weird problem recently, where I think on Google Drive, you can't change ownership of a, fi- of a file, like if it's someone outside your organization who created it. So I, I was wondering how you solved that. But We just resolved that. You have to do that. You have to set up groups in your, in your G Suite. So you have to ah, do a writer okay. group. And then you can set the permission just to the writer group instead of the individual article owner. So it's really your G Suite organization owns the groups. So it doesn't matter if people go, come, you know, it doesn't matter who's sitting in the seat. It's the group that owns it, not the individual. Ah, brilliant. Uh, (laughs) I I love it. So tell me about your, uh, your tech stack as well for tools. I mean, do you use... Copyscape, you mentioned uh, Grammarly and, and some other tools. What are you using consistently there? Sure. We, we're using all different types of software just for the business in general. But when it comes to content production, uh, everything sits on Service Provider Pro. So that's our workflow to keep everything moving moving nicely. For most people operating websites uh, and, and teams for a specific website, Service Provider Pro wouldn't be an option. In that case, I would suggest Asana or Trello. I think ClickUp is a, is a newer one that's really good too. So I would suggest those. For proofreading, spelling grammar, and just general um, editing, Grammarly is great. Uh, it doesn't get you 100% of the way there. At Word Agents, our guarantee is to, we guarantee every article will reach a score of 90% or better on Grammarly. And then we have uh, manual checks after that. Do, do you aim for a specific readability score with it as well? Like grade, Re- grade Readability level? is a tough one because what, what's happening with readability is we are testing that and we will do that for clients that ask for it. But when you pass it through a re- readability uh, tool, and you, you kind of try to edit like that, it, the article becomes very robotic and it takes a lot more time to get it flowing well in the readability tool. So that's something that isn't part of our service guarantee as of yet, but we're, we're working on working that into our service guarantee. But we just have to kind of overcome the amount of time it takes to edit for readability. But I very much promote Hemingway Editor for readability. It's probably the standard, I would say, at this point for that type so of do, thing. So do you use both Grammarly and Hemingway always, or does um, it just one of the Hemingway other? only, like when, when we have certain clients that are really specific about readability, and we'll use Hemingway in, in that case. But for the most part, on the majority of orders, it's just Grammarly. And then we use Copyscape too 
to check for, you know, duplicate content. Yeah. Okay. And I would say that's it. And then just, you know, if you have a really big team, I would so recommend uh, an HR platform. And for us, since everybody on our team is a contractor, uh, we use Bamboo HR. So far, it's been really nice and it's great for communication, blasting out, you know, communications and memos to the entire team really easy. Uh, and it also makes onboarding easy, getting everybody to sign their their contracts and, and submit all that kind of stuff too. But I would say that's it as far as tech stack. Project management system, Grammarly, Copyscape, Hemingway editor, and then an HR platform. So do you do any kind of on-page optimization? Like, do you look at like including keywords? Do you use tools like Surfer SEO or, or anything similar to kind of add keywords to content there? Sure. So, yeah. So Word Agents is, is an SEO company. Uh, we specialize in SEO optimization at scale. I have an internal best practices guide for on-page optimization that is actually available for download on, on the Word Agents website. We give away for free, too. So if you guys want to take a look at, at what we teach our writers, you guys can, can visit us and download it. But it's, you know, we just, we update we'll, that. We'll put a link to that the, the corner of the YouTube Yeah, video I'm going to get that for you for sure. We update our best practices, I'd say, once per quarter. So um, it's just all the standard stuff that we all know. Keyword density, using keywords in the first and last paragraph, try to use the secondary keywords and headings wherever possible. A lot of the formatting stuff that we talked about previously is also within our on-page optimization guide. Outbound linking, internal linking, it's a whole gamut of, of what's necessary to optimize content to rank well for your keyword. Okay, and I hear you've used some kind of interesting automation to help you manage this, this whole process. How do you use automation in your business? Like simple Zapier tasks or you know, do you use anything more, more sort of complex? Sure. To be honest, my, my team is just, uh, at this point, they do automations that I don't even know that it's going on right now. It's, it's awesome. As you kind of grow, like you have teammates that just do this stuff for you. But the biggest one we did is we created a, an app that sits on top of Service Provider Pro. As I said before, Service Provider Pro was really close to our workflow, but it wasn't perfect. And, and one of the drawbacks was the assignments. You know, we have hundreds upon hundreds of new orders every week, and we were manually assigning that to editors and writers for every article. So we built an app that sits on top of Service Provider Pro that allows that to be automated. It allows the writers to claim articles at their leisure rather than waiting for our team to assign an article to them. So that actually sped up our entire process significantly, and it cut down on costs because uh, we didn't have to pay like extra labor to actually just understand, you know, train them on, you know, different types of articles and, you know, what should go where. We just created an app that does that automatically for us. And then beyond that, you know, Zapier is a godsend. You know, it connects all of our tech stack together so everything speaks together. And um, we use Zapier to automate a, a few Google Sheets that we're, we're still using for, for data purposes. If you were to start your agency again today, let, let's say it was a, a blank slate, what would you do differently? I would niche down more. When I first started Word Agents, I wouldn't call us an agency any longer. We're definitely a productized service now. But as an agency... You built a platform recently, right? Yeah, it's it, the platform is Service Provider Pro. We just customized the heck out of it okay. uh, for, for our needs. So we're kind of sitting somewhere between a SaaS and an agency. And, and the term for that is productized service. But as an agency, you should totally niche down. We made the mistake of trying to do content for everyone and, you know, I did well, but I didn't sleep. I had to hustle all the time because I had to go get that next client, that next payday, 
to just to keep you know money in my pocket, but also keep all my team flush with more work to do. If you niche down and you focus on a, a specific industry, you're gonna it's gonna become much easier to land clients because your marketing materials will be able you'll be able to focus on that one vertical, and also you'll be get a lot of referral business because um, people will say, oh, this guy did so great for my you know my law firm practice or my you know dentistry practice or what have you. And, uh, you know, guys that are in the industry have other buddies in the industry and uh, they'll refer you and you get a lot of referral business that way. So niching down is, is my, my number one tip for agency owners getting started. And where do you see content creation in general going in the future? Are we going towards more sort of high end, high quality or, you know, is there is there still a quantity argument to be made? It depends on where you're at in the life cycle of your website. Like when it's a new website, it's going to be quantity based. You got to get up all those core documents and, and really just develop your topical authority within within the, the niche you're in. But after you kind of reach that baseline, then it flips to a quality type of, a type of deal. Then, you know, you have your readership and you just want to put out the best quality content that, that's going to engage with your readership consistently. You're, you're no longer worried about building articles around all the keywords in the vertical. You're now worried about providing value to your readership to maintain them and also grow that readership over time. So I think there's always going to be a market for the quantity based stuff. I think we kind of at Word Agents, we kind of straddle both of those things. One kind of wrinkle that popped out recently that we weren't expecting is the advent of the AI content creator. Everything on GPT-3 that's, that's being developed right now. I would relate that to kind of the quality of writing that, you know, an overseas writer would put out. If you hired somebody from the Philippines or, or India, you more or less are getting the same kind of quality from the AI writers right now. And it's going to require like some human interaction to polish up. So that's something we're looking into. We're potentially going to launch an AI content product along with our, you know, human written product as well down the line. I don't quite know how that's going to pan out, but we're keeping an eye on it and we're just going to, you know, take it in stride as it comes. Can you see a day where all content is written by AI? It's tough, man. I've always said that you're, you're never going to get the same insight out of a machine than that you would out of a human being. But you get a lot of really smart, smart cookies out there that are learning how to develop this stuff and, and getting it up to speed. AI content, I really see that for almost like ad lib style content that you're just kind of plugging information into. Uh, I know it's used heavily in like stock quotes and stock prospectuses where, you know, that, that can be automated very easily. News updates, things like that. But things where you need a, a, a good level of insight to really connect with your audience and pass value to your audience. I think that's a good five years away. You know, I may be putting my foot in my mouth saying that, but uh, you know, my opinion is, is that it's you know we got a little bit of time before the technology gets there. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people think it's going to come along and just today everyone you know it's you have two hundred writers tomorrow it's just AI is doing everything. I, I think it's more a gradual kind of change. At least I've been playing around with some of these tools and they definitely don't replace a, a, a writer yet, but they can help a writer you know overcome writer's block or help you just get started with like a new section or like finish up something. It's quite clever the way it's it's constructed. I think just people need to learn how to use it a little bit more. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's it's not going to be this wholesale change where like one day you use, you know, human labor and the next day you're using AI. 
it's going to be similar to like how all these optimization tools just hit the market over the past two years. You have Surfer, Market News, ClearScope. Those didn't replace competitive analysis. Those just made it easier. And it's just another tool in your tool stack to develop content. And I think AI content is more or less going to be the same deal. We're just kind of learning how that's going to play out at this point. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I'll keep an eye on the uh, the AI content product because I've been doing some experiments myself. I have a YouTube video coming out fairly soon where I'm like comparing content from a text broker to AI. And it's some really interesting uh, results, actually. So right now, I think the AI content stuff is really good for copywriting. I know there's a few specific tools out there that are great for like headlines. If you if you do Facebook advertising, yeah, it's working yeah. really well for that because it's trained for that. So that's a good use case for it. But for, you know, full length, long form blog posts, I don't know if it's there just just yet. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on it then. <laughs> uh, so I mean, we've been using you guys for, I think, five or six years now. And although we obviously have our own dedicated writers for, for most of our sites, um, I still find us coming back to you, you know, every every so often, whether that's to for content, we're starting a new site. Uh, actually, one of the, the first content order we ever had from you guys back in 2016, I think it was, wow. uh, into 2015, we are just we just actually sold that site uh, for six figures and it started with a $1,500 word agents order. So yeah, that is awesome. I really admire how consistent you guys have been because you know we've we've tried other other companies in in, in the past. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. But over a period of five years, you guys have just been been really, really consistent. And in the Authority Site System and Authority Hacker Pro, I know that you have a sort of special arrangement with our, our our members. You have a special rate for for those those people. But you also wanted to give a really pretty incredible coupon code offer to people listening today. So do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. And and first off, thank you for saying that. I, I appreciate you guys sticking us with, with us for so long. You know, being consistent and reliable is actually part of our mission statement. We want to be the most reliable service out there because that's one of the most common complaints we hear that it's just not reliable. You know, outsourcing content is just not a reliable option. We want to change, you know, change people's perspective about that. But yes, we're going to offer a special deal for anybody that's listening to this podcast. We're going to give you $110 off any of our packages at Word Agents. So our smallest package usually costs $120 for a thousand words. So this coupon code is actually going to make uh, that package $10 for you. And that'll be a good way uh, to try us out if um, you're, you're contemplating outsourcing content. Or if you have a bigger project, you can use that $110 coupon code off one of our bigger packages. And uh, as an added bonus, uh, if you claim uh, the coupon code and use it within the first seven days after the, uh, the date this podcast goes live, we're going to send you an additional $110 off just as a thank you for, for trying us out. So, Mark, I think you're going to share the coupon code in the notes. Yeah, we'll put it on the on the screen now. If you're listening on the audio, I think it's dollar uh, one hundred and ten ah ah. We'll we'll put it in the email that we send out as well. But you can you can check check the show notes or SoundCloud YouTube description. We'll we'll put it all there for sure. And that's valid for seven days, thirty days. What, what? The coupon code will be valid for thirty days after the day uh, the podcast goes live. I, be- I believe that's July twelfth. But the in order to get the secondary coupon, you've got to use the first coupon within the first seven days. That's the uh, the little uh, caveat there. 
So they just go on to wordagents.com and and sign up for the the, the platform and yep, th- you there can, should be a coupon code in the order order space there. Exactly. Wordagents.com. You can scroll down right on the home page. You'll see our four packages. Uh, we have packages of words that range from a thousand words all the way up to twenty thousand words. And the way it works is you buy your package of words, a dashboard is created for you, and then you make article requests that kind of debit from your balance of, of word credits. So, uh, yep, just head over to wordagents.com, pick a package, and you'll be able to apply the coupon code. And when a client's working with you, what information do they need to give you uh, to get the best content possible? Should they be given, you know, very detailed briefs, just give you the keyword, or like, where is the balance there? We are huge fans of the Authority Hacker content briefs. So if you have that, just give us that, those two-page briefs for your article. That's all that's necessary. You know, all of our clients submit briefs in their own way. Our order form, uh, when you want to submit a request for a new article, you can upload documents. And if you aren't sure what to include, we actually have a template on there, too, that spells out everything that we're asking for. So it's from, you know, your title, your target keywords, secondary keywords, word length, formatting instructions. And I I believe there's a few other pieces of information that you can provide that will help us along. And in worst case scenario, all the instructions are reviewed by our quality assurance team and our editors. So if we have more questions, we'll reach out to you before production starts just to get clarification to make sure that we understand uh, what your expectations are. Okay, great. So is there anything which I haven't asked you today, which I should have asked you? Hmm, let's see here. I would say when it comes to building your team, teams aren't static. You want to be constantly replacing and improving your team over time because what happens is, you know, writers get used to, you know, the same process day in in and day out, week in and week out. So what we do every quarter is we review, I would say, the bottom 10 to 20 percent of our team from a performance perspective, and we hire the same amount of new writers. We kind of put them against each other and we see, you know, who's going to, who performs better and we keep the better performers and say goodbye to the ones that, that didn't perform that well. And um, approaching the team like that and constantly cycling out, you know, the bottom quarter of your team is the way to constantly improve over time. If you do that for a a few years, you're going to have a really talented team that's, that's within your budget. And what would you say is the biggest mistake that you've made throughout this this whole journey in terms of, of hiring writers? Don't assume that writers know what your expectations are. You have to be very tediously specific about that without micromanaging. Um, you can't micromanage. You just have to set your expectations in a very clear way as succinctly as possible. So again, I go back to whatever you know, instructions you're providing to writers, the document is no longer than two pages. Any more than that is just going to be too much information and things are going to get lost. So be concise and specific about your expectations, but don't cross that that line to micromanagement because then things kind of get all messed up. Okay, Vin, thanks so much for coming on today. Really appreciate you uh, sharing these insights with your business. I really appreciate it, Mark. This was fun.
Thank you. Thank you. So if you guys enjoyed this show and if you have a question for, for Vin, actually, uh, head on over to our YouTube channel and leave us a comment. And maybe Vin, uh, the, at the end of the week, you can have a look through and, and answer some of those questions that, 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 that people have in there as well. Yeah, guys, I'll be there all week. So I, I love talking to you. So let me know if you have any questions and, and I'll give you as detailed as, as uh, a response as I can. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to our channel, like the video, send us all the social love that you can, and uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks for another episode. Mm-hmm.